those people in line for Barksdale's cookies I saw. I oh, like, damn. That, that looked bad. There's like 200 people in line. Yeah. I just, so Are I you going to grab some when we go on Friday, on Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. Mike, I, I'm trying to go this week sometime because my wife always buys. Oh, yeah. So we can go twice in some form. But, yeah, now with the Saturday ones. Do you like to just go or do you like to do any Yeah, of the... it's I, I don't mind walking around. Yeah. It's just like. But I used to have to do that for the paper, going around covering and taking pictures of like. So I knew if it was, oh, it's the first Thursday, it's the twins triplets contest, yeah, and, or it's the probably the the cow pie throwing contest. Yeah, if it's Wednesday and blah 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 blah. Wait, but can you explain what a cow pie is? It's just it's basically a dried up pile of cow poop. It's in a pasture, and you Stop. can pick it when it's dried out because they eat mostly grass and stuff yeah. and cellulosic material. It it stays in that shape. It dries out, and it's. You get this kind of frisbee <laughs> made out of cow really poop. No. <laughs> yeah. You would throw it at people? No, what they do at the at the <laughs> at the fair is they have a contest you can throw it the farthest. Oh, I thought it was no. like <laughs> cow pie fine. No. Like no. Nuts. no, most of the time we leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> good, on the farm, good. but good, good, good. they yeah, they throw it and then they have the rubber chicken throwing contest too. Yeah. And then the uh what is it? Uh, chicken calling contest and uh, you know they all the stuff they do at the Pioneer Hall. Yeah, um, but otherwise, no. I my favorite thing at the fair is I haven't seen the new foods yet. I want to try the, yeah. the finisher or whatever from Rib Shack. I think what's in that? Do it you looks remember? like it's a potato and bacon and and brisket and mm. mac and cheese. Yeah, I think it's just a continuation of what they had last year. Yeah, I what, think. Yeah, what's your go-to fair food? Cheese curds, probably. Yeah, I love yeah. the cheese. That and, one stand. Yeah, and, the min- <laughs> and mini donuts. There's also that little triangle oh. there by in front of the midway. Yeah. But it's in trees, and they have uh, the mini donuts yeah. and stuff in the morning, and there's always a line for that. With, like, sugar and stuff on it. Yeah, but as a kid, mm-hmm. I always liked the root beer. You could get, like, fresh root beer. They had a giant barrel, and it was ice-cold root beer. And yeah. I always thought that was the coolest thing, because <laughs> I never had root beer, I guess, unless I was at the fair. Yeah. But uh, Have you tried this pickle beer? No, no. Would you like to? I could try, but I would probably not. My my taste buds are are just like shot. shot. (laughs) I can can taste bitter, and I can taste uh, salty and stuff like that, but that's not it. You just care if it's cold. That's all that matters. So go to the 27-degree stand. I get that. I'll be there, too. I'll be there Saturday. Yeah. I will at least do it before the concert. (laughs) Somebody else might be going to the concert in my place, but otherwise, yeah. You'll be there drinking a beer. That's all that matters. Um, who are you jealous of this week? Tell us about your guests that you brought on. Oh, it's a uh, Todd Buchanan. He's a he's called Men Meeting Images or Men Meeting Photography. So he does medical conventions yeah. now. But before that, he was a very well he was a decorated uh, news photographer. Yep. Working at the Orange County Register. Well, he went to school at Western Kentucky, which is like there's like only like three schools where you can get a degree in photojournalism. Oh, Western I didn't Kentucky, know that. Uh, Orange County Register. He and said the other one. I he think. worked at Cedar Rapids Gazette for about nine months because mm-hmm. <laughs> that was kind of a hometown paper. And Louis- that's where you guys crossed paths. Yes, because yeah. I had heard he was coming to town, and I just happened to be – at least was up, and I was like, hey, uh, we could be roommates. Yeah. And, and it worked out just fine because the paper I worked at was at the Iowa City Press Citizen, and I was only a block away. Mm-hmm. So I literally – and we were an afternoon paper, so you could close the bars down. Yeah. And then go do your work and then still there have time to get a deadline. But uh, then he went to the Louisville Courier and then the Philadelphia Inquirer. Mm-hmm. And then he moved to uh, Chicago when he started freelancing. And that's when I started freelancing, too, from 96 to 2000. So we met up. And my favorite thing is we did the Democratic Convention in Chicago mm-hmm. in 96. And I got a 
and we were freelancing for the New York Times, and that's when they were just starting to feel out the digital. They were still doing film. They brought a film processor into their into the production tent, like for all the major news organizations had a big yeah. tent, and they had a processor. But we, I had an experience with digital cameras at the time, so I said, you know, you can do this digital camera and it worked fine. And I got to stay at the Continental or whatever, which is right downtown mm-hmm. Chicago, up on the upper floor because the rooms have been given away. So all they had was like a presidential suite. So I had this chocolate <laughs> White House. Bummer. It was like a chocolate <laughs> White House. It was in my room. And I took it back with me to the, yeah, it was, it was. The it cool, stayed cool stable on your way back? Yeah, it was, it was about that big Dang. or so. And so anyway, <laughs> but yeah, so we were freelancing and stuff like that. Yeah. That's when I met him. And then he started these uh, events, event photography and stuff like that. And he treats it like it's a news organization. So yeah, um, he hires new, you know, basically about everybody's a former or current news photographer. Yeah, he's done so many cool things. And what I love about the guests that you bring on, all these cool photographers, they, there's so many, so much story behind yeah. the photos that they're able to capture and the ones they get these prizes for. And it's, it's just so fun listening to a story and being engulfed in that moment and where they were at in that moment. And oh, we could go on for hours. Oh, and yeah. Go with <laughs> and that's what we do, like, when we go out to meals, you know, at at these conventions and stuff. We t- Sometimes we, we're able to sit down as a group, you know, where it could be three people, it could be ten people. Yeah. And he's always got the best stories. And oh, it's, like he was so. great to have on and great to get his insight on just what all goes into photography, even stuff you don't even think about, like yeah. lighting and getting it all ready. And it was a great conversation with Todd today. So thank you for oh, bringing him you're on. You're welcome. It was very fun. Enjoy, guys. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Jealous Podcast. I am here with Rodney today, and he brought on a guest that he is jealous on of. Rodney, do you want to say why you are jealous of Todd? I'm not sure why I'm <laughs> jealous of him. Like I said, I'm not jealous of, of a lot of people, but I guess, sure, he's one of them. As far as just <laughs> just his experience and the knowledge in his head, I guess. That's, um, yeah, I've always looked up to him, I guess. Yeah, the bio you sent me of him, it's pretty pretty extensive and pretty impressive. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Todd? We're really excited to chat with you today, and we'd love to get a little bit, know a little bit more about you. Well, uh, you know, I can I can say it right back at Rodney, but uh, my my uh, a little my history, you know, come from Iowa City area. Um, grew up around North Liberty, and and uh, you know, um, started out uh, very early on in in high school, but even kind of before that. Um, I became very involved in horses and riding horses. And um, as that interest grew, we started to show all over the Midwest and we travel all over the Midwest. And um, when it came to photography at about 16, my grandmother gave me a 1931 Argus C3, which was just, they called it the brick. You know, it was just like solid metal all I knew is this dial, you turned it this way, it made it darker, and this way it made it lighter. I had no idea. Um, and I started taking pictures of the horses and things like that because they would cooperate. They're just standing there. And and I think on my first role, my mom proceeded to em- completely embarrass me by showing one of my photographs to an editor of a horse magazine. And... You know, of course, you're 16th time. You're like, thanks, mom, you know, for really embarrassing me. But uh, the next month, that photo was the 
full color one page like the amateur photo of the month uh sort of thing and it's oh. like hmm this is kind of interesting you know <laughs> so when you took that photo did you have any idea what you were doing at the time or did you just kind of click it and got the image you got it was the the funny thing is okay <laughs> we're we're all rural iowa here right uh -huh. you know so it was late in the afternoon the sun was kind of low in the sky and they were just is the mayor and her foal kind of grazing on this hillside with some big trees kind of around and um the setting looked like if you didn't know any better it looked like it was the early morning mist with the sun and the fingers of god coming from the sun mm -hmm. well for us iowa folks really on the back side of that hill that you didn't see it was a gravel road and the <laughs> dust all kicked up so oh. it looked like it was early morning mist and of course it, it was dust from a pickup truck but i'll i'll admit even all these years later it was a very pretty picture that looked like an early morning mist with a mare in full grazing and uh so from that point i was kind of thought this is pretty cool because i i thought it was going to be a, either training horses or a vet, you know, or something like that. And uh, so what I started doing was taking pictures of the people involved in the horse business. And that kind of got me interested because, you know, I just always found that it's sort of interesting photographing people and challenging. And fortunately, my high school newspaper, too, had a really great journalism advisor that so 16 at the time and gave me a lot of film and you know and i started taking pictures of the horses i think by like 17 i, I was actually taking pictures for the magazines at the time too the horse magazines mm -hmm. as well as at my high school newspaper and yearbook and so eventually that led to photojournalism school and and uh, kind of led me down that that path but uh you know, you it was, uh, um, I, I think one of the things I was very fortunate is uh, good, good high school. You know, I was, went to West High School in Iowa City, mm -hmm. and our journalism advisor there at the time, I had no idea. I wound up, like my junior year, going to Ball State Journalism Workshop, and I got there, and, and all the other people said, Oh, you're from West High in Iowa City? You've got Ben Van Zandy as your, he's like, I had no idea. I just yeah. thought he was my high school advisor. And everyone's like, no, he's like one of the best in the country, you know? And and so How cool. um, Ben Van Zandy was this phenomenal guy who their books consistently won national awards uh, for best design and things like that. And, and so, Kind of each step along the way i was very fortunate in being exposed to great people and then um western kentucky was where i wound up going to school because they had a great photojournalism program mm -hmm. and um that you know then led me into the newspapers and and photojournalism area so from your perspective, what's the difference between taking photos and like photography? Because there's a, clearly a difference between me grabbing my cell phone and snapping a few photos, right? But then what Rodney does and what you do, it's just, it's elevated, right? So to you, what's the difference between those types of photos? Well, you know, 
I think the the thing <laughs> I still my my brother even even just not too long ago uh, you know his faith in me but he but he was kind of asking the question is like so why you know with all these cameras around nowadays and everyone can take a picture on their phone why do people really need you <laughs> and, and I always just say millions of crappy pictures out there you know yeah if you want to um you know i i is a two-edged sword i say i think it's great because uh, we're seeing lots more images out there and i think we're seeing a lot of things in our lives now especially on the video side of people with cell phone cameras and aka George Floyd and, and other situations. Right. So I think it's great that there's lots of pictures out there. But I think um, what's nice for me is I almost feel like it's separated some of the field where um, in the past, I guess, used to get lots of calls from small businesses or something like that, or people just starting out. And they didn't have, uh, you know, they want some nice pictures from their event and or their product or something like that and it was always oh well, we don't have much money you know yeah and um nowadays you can get a take a pretty decent picture on your own yeah but if you've got something where you've sunk you know a million dollars into a new product or or a big important event with your shareholders or something like that you're going to want to have you know good photography and I think we also live in a very visually sophisticated time. Yeah. You think about all of us every day are bombarded by thousands of images. And I think we have all become pretty good judges of what's good and what's crap. And, um, you know, so, uh, so good images help put your message across. And they can communicate a lot, you know. Um, so, so you know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, people can smell out a staged or phony-looking picture pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, um, so I, I think there's still a lot of value there. I think all we're kind of bringing to the to the table, I think, oftentimes is many years of experience and how to you know, capture those images that hopefully help convey and and carry across the message that will reach out to people, hopefully touch people, you know, or make them smile or, you know, in photojournalism cases, sometimes push back or see things that, I think that's always the, the beauty of what I did in photojournalism was, um, my feeling was, I would get this special access to go places, you know, whether it's the locker room or it's inside a nuclear containment facility or on an aircraft carrier or something like that. My, in the back of my mind, I was always trying to think of how can I take someone by the hand, if you will, and show them something or help them see something in a way that they had never thought of. Yeah, I think that's or, your point. Or perceived, you know. Right there is the difference is, a different perspective you guys see things through your lens and you're able to set up lights and cameras that people don't normally see or they won't see through their cell phone so i think to me that's what i believe 
the difference is. Right. What about you? It, it's a, there's a little bit of the, uh, well, like you were saying about the experience too, how we can kind of, we're viewing the through the camera through our years of experience, but it's like they're not paying us for the hours we're working. It's paying for the years of experience. Yeah. And kind of being able to filter all that and try to get coalesce it down into a single image. Yeah. I, I always call it, it was kind of, I always felt influenced by the wires because they they only had, they had that easel. You'd flip and you either had a fat square or a tall horizontal, we would call it, and you had to put all your image into that. Yeah. And it's just like you try to squeeze as much information or take out. You know, and it just made you shoot very tight and very, uh, yeah, it, it was just, I, I just remember that was kind of like your your, your uh, trial by fire, yeah. um, being able to do that. And the logistics, like it used to be more of a craft when it was film, you had to be able to expose the film for, you know, printing on toilet paper. You know, some of the newsprint was <laughs> right. not good, so you had to have a contrasting <laughs> image. It had to be well lit, all of that stuff instead of... And then when the digital came, there was about, I call it eight years of dark time when, okay, digital's trying to catch up with film, but it's not there. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden in the early 2000s, it really caught on and surpassed film. So now it's more about the artistry yeah. and it's about the storytelling. Really, you don't have to talk about equipment as much or the logistics of getting somewhere. That one friend of our, um, David Gutenfeller, he would talk about, you know, you go get this shot of some, you know, something in Africa, but it's like he spent two days and he had a canoe and he had a cooler and he had a generator and, mm -hmm. a, you know, he had to take all of that along just to get one photo out of the desert somewhere. Yeah. And I mean, that's, and, and Todd could tell you that's he spent. I yeah. Mean, let's lead into that. So well, what are, what are, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the, we, we have a, some of the images. There's a one of uh, Magic Johnson. Sam's going to pull yeah. it up. Yeah. And us. just to say like, you know, I, hopefully this is one you had to sh set up lights for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so when you worked for the Orange County Reg yeah. Orange County Register, you had to. It wasn't just show up, sit courtside, and take a picture. You had to get there the day before or the night before. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. We got uh, yeah. Kareem. Yeah. yeah. Kareem. Kareem and um, the um, so actually, if you looked at that picture very closely up in his goggle glasses, you might see the lights. There were strobes. We'd literally. Um, so we were the Orange County Register. So this is around 83, um, 84, 85. And, um, they were one of the first papers that really had a big commitment to doing color photography in the daily paper. And, um, in order to get the good quality images, you know, you've got these, they spent millions on these presses and in order to get the best quality out of that good lighting was always really important and um because if the if it was kind of you know shadowy or something it would get very muddy on the presses like you say you're you're printing on just a step above toilet paper okay. you know and so you had to make sure it looked good and the lighting was was great and so literally for every lakers game i would cover i would have to go up there hours beforehand they would rope these big strobe packs, there'd be four of them, up to the, the catwalks. And I have to install them and wire them all together and drop a wire down that which would connect to the camera to, so they would all sync up and the flashes would all fire in that millisecond. And, um, you know, and the other thing is they didn't go pop, 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 pop. You had a pop and you had to wait for about a second for them to all recharge 
Because oh. if you did, you'd blow a circuit. <laughs> so in other words, you had to have your timing down when you're covering the sports. And Sports Illustrated and many other big magazines all do kind of the same thing. And you'll still see them even to this day. If you ever watch, if you ever sat in a stadium and instead of looking down the court, you kind of looked up at the ceiling, you'd see these flashes going off. Yeah. And that's what those all were. So in order to get quality, you had to, to do some a ton of work. Well, and you were so. shooting on slide film too, right? Yeah, yeah, doing slide film was not just, color negative, which was more forgiving. Yeah. So slide film, you had to be like right on the money. And you did and, this uh, on the you did it on the road too, on road games. I, so you I took travel. those packs to the Boston Garden, to Phoenix, to Dallas. It so was <laughs> when you would set that up, would, would it be a situation where other photographers that are on the court with you, they would be able to benefit from that light too, <laughs> or it's everyone has well, to set up yeah. their own lights? Yeah. That yep. is insane. Yep. Yeah. And they were not so, but there was a limit usually in most stadiums to like about four photographers who could do that. So usually it's like the team photographer, then maybe Associated Press, the Los Angeles Times, and us for in LA, for example. Yeah. And uh, I was at the Orange County Register. And uh, or if Sports Illustrated came in, you know, one or two of those might get bumped. Uh, you you know, yes, you could shoot without the lights, but They've gotten a lot better in most of the new modern stadiums with a lot brighter lighting. But back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, there are some dark dungeons that you had to go <laughs> yeah. and take pictures in, you know. And uh, so yeah, it wasn't the focus, you know, whereas now they want you need the images and you need well, the video. They want to 20 be... photos you know, right. by, by the first half or <laughs> yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it yeah, was, back then, you know. You were, um, weren't you developing the film on the plane back? In a lot of cases, I would have maybe a runner who would take film at like halftime back down to Orange County, and then I would stay and finish shooting the rest of the game, and then I would have to wait around for an hour or two afterwards to rope all the stuff back down. You had to take it in and out every time. Well, they wouldn't let you leave Because there, yeah. the catwalks were so small. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, again, it was the commitment to quality, and it was a good – you know, lesson. It, it taught me, you know, a lot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's um, something that, you know, a lot of people just kind of take for granted. They see a great picture in the newspaper the next day. And, and there was a lot that went into it. Well, that, that, so. that commitment to quality is what got, um, you were part of that. Your first uh, Pulitzer Prize was for the sports coverage of the 84 Olympics. Yeah. And then that's where, you only had three credentialed photographers and you were able, and you were able to shoot too, but you beat out, I mean, you guys beat out the wire services, the, the LA times probably had 20 photographers, who knows, but you were, you were kind of like the mouse that roared almost at the, at that point. <laughs> so, yeah. So we, um, in Orange County, um, I came in in December of 83. So the Olympics in Los Angeles were summer of 84. Well, the Olympic Organizing Committee already had given out, you know, there's a very defined set of credentials. And the Los Angeles Times, I want to say, had something like 28 uh, credentials. They also paid like a million dollars to be the national, what they call the national pool. Uh, so in other words, that meant they had even better access. And uh, whereas we uh, only had three, 
and I was the new kid on the block, they'd already assigned those three. And so I was covering events where, you know, I didn't have any credential. So I'm shooting from wherever I could. And it's, it's uh, that bicycle shot. One of the big things right over my shoulder um, yeah. was the um, cycling race. The 100K cycling race was going to take place in uh, Orange County, Mission Viejo. And um, so I spent like a couple days scouting the whole route, trying to figure out where might be the best place to try and, you know, cover it. And um, eventually found a place on a hillside that overlooked the finish line. But I literally was going to have to camp out. And I got permission from the, the people to camp out overnight in that spot and I got one of the huge lenses from Canon that was brand new at the time they said it was like worth 60,000 or something you know and um, I found what I thought was a great spot considering I didn't have any credential and uh, so as it turns out the way the cycling race finished this is the first time an American ever won a gold in a, any cycling event in the Olympics. And uh, the uh, what happened was at the finish of the race, it came down, the race was so close, the Canadian and the American were literally, each time someone would push the pedal, they would go, it was that close, you know, as the, the wheel would go in front of the other. And normally a lot of those big races, you get down to the finish and someone's like far enough ahead that they just let them go on and win, you know. Yeah. But this one was a battle to the very finish line. So um, the, uh, the, the position where all the credential photographers was is right at the finish line. Because normally that's where the picture is. The guy comes riding across and his arms up in the air this case it was so intense that they didn't react to who the winner was until like 50 feet past so all those credential guys are getting his ass <laughs> As he's me, i'm sitting on the hill and he's riding straight towards me so i'm following him all the way in is... and uh so i you know as i like to say i call it planned luck you yeah. know yeah uh that's what I, I was going to say. It's a lot you know. of, it goes back to the lighting thing, right? It's just stuff you don't even think that you have to pay attention to. But like you said, you went out scouting. You stayed in a tent. back. Like You had to do all this research to prepare for that one photo that's going to be everywhere. Do you yep. think people, is that still relative now in these, like the Olympics or the NBA or whatever? Is that sort of planning still relative? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I when, when I watch a Super Bowl game or an NBA championship, it's like I know what they're going through, the preparation, the work they've gone through to do that. And really, you know, in the end, ultimately, um, it's a great story, but it just matters whether you get the picture or not. I, I, don't, I don't expect everyone to appreciate all the work you went to. You know, I think they just want to see the great shot, and, and I can't blame them. And, and, you know, I think that's, you know, that's the – 
the fun part about it. But I, but what I do kind of enjoy is just as the athletes are out there competing on the field, the photographers are on the sideline competing to make sure they get the great picture too. And it, it's it's a lot of fun, yeah. you know. It, it, there's a picture of him with holding the lens too, I think, that you sent us. Yeah. Oh, so that, cool. It was a 1250 F5.6 or something, and yeah. it came in two pieces. Oh, so it's like a focusing unit, and you put that on there. It took two tripods sometimes to hold it, but you were one of the first to actually get to use it, and they just happened to get it in for the Olympics. Yeah, cuddle with that they one just, in your tent. Yeah. <laughs> that was ironically too. Um, after I'd been up for about forty-eight hours straight, because right after that cycling race um, at the newspaper that evening, a fire broke out in the paper rolls underneath the newspaper building and smoke started pouring up through the floor. And um, so we had to like, they had to like, the firefighters literally coming in their masks and they're saying, you've got to get out of here, you yeah. know? But we, we actually had a sister plant nearby and I wound up like racing these pages back and forth from the design back in the, layout day when you literally pasted up pages and we were up like all night you know covering the fire in our own newspaper as well as getting the paper out for the next day and and i wound up i think going like 72 hours straight and i remember i had to return that lens too so i had to drive up to la at like two in the morning and on the way back i was so tired i pulled over on the side of the road and all I remember is waking up and some highway patrolman knocking on my windows. You can't sleep here. You know, I was like, <laughs> I got to get the lens back. <laughs> yeah, Roddy uh, mentioned a lot of things that you have been through. You've been held at gunpoint in Iraq. You've repelled out of helicopters and trekked across the Arctic. You've done so many cool things. But I wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite assignments to have? Uh, you know, um, uh, the the things like the Olympics, I, I think, were just really cool because you were there, right, in the environment where people are are, you know, doing these amazing things, you know, reaching to the heights and and um, and actually, you know, even some of the smaller events at the Olympics can be very cool because some of these folks. For example, in Seoul, um, I'm, I knew about a canoe kayak guy who was originally from Iowa, and um, but now he's in like Michigan or something like that. But um, you know, I, I can't remember the exact thing, but I knew he was really good and had a good chance. And I was covering it for USA Today, and and I was kind of open that afternoon. I said, "Hey, you know, do you mind if I go out and cover this canoe kayak?" And they're like, "Yeah, that's another sport." Go for it, you know. I get out there. The guy um, winds up winning a gold in his first event. Um, and this canoe kayak, they have to stand up, and it's literally – so the upper body muscles and strength these guys have is incredible. But he had like a 1,000-meter race, and then he had to turn around, and his next event was immediately after that. So he wins the gold, and he's got to go back out there Do it again. another time, and he won again. Oh, that's so and, cool. And um, 
the sad thing to me though was i mean that it was incredible what he did you know any great athlete having to do back to back you know really tiring things and what was sad to me is that night he got like five seconds on the olympic broadcast yeah but do you think we missed beach volleyball in the <laughs> quarterfinal round i'm like yeah yeah really this guy he's been living out of a van for like the last four years yeah just trying to get there to the olympics do you think he's going to get any nike contract no. no you know he's a canoe kayak guy <laughs> but that's that's you know what i love about covering some of the things like that is seeing people who've given it their all and, and they reach that spot you know so but I think the other thing, you know, other things is is history. Um, I think it's just always neat to be able to be there covering. You can sense it when history is happening, you know, and and those are pretty cool. But the geographic, we were retracing the steps of history. Oh. And I thought we would sit every night. It was an Arctic expedition from Sir John Franklin, one of the first British explorers looking for the Northwest Passage. But each night we would sit down after we'd been canoeing all day, you know, and read the diaries from 1821, I believe it was. And uh, what was insane was how little the, the landscape, landscape had changed in those 150 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think all of it, um, you know, to me, I, I think the the neat part is we're capturing images that that hopefully capture a little bit of history and allow people to either see it that day, the next day, or even 20 years later. You know, um, yeah. I think that's and they pay me to do this stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the coolest well, part, right? So, I, I, yeah. Well, you're with your resume. We can have this. Is just like when we get together for. For, for supper and things like that <laughs> yeah. at these events we cover and even like the breeders cup and stuff like that it just if we could sit there all day but i <laughs> we only have like 40 45 minutes or so but yeah I basically know. so you were i know you, you worked at papers um you worked at orange county register and then you came and worked at the cedar rapids gazette for maybe nine months and that's when i met him for the first time oh, okay. but i felt like i knew you because i'd read about you the whole time and he's like here's an iowa that left and was doing well and yeah. we actually were roommates for that six months, seven months, we lived above the Brugger's Bagel Bakery yep. in Iowa City. And luckily it didn't burn down at that time, but you woke up every morning to that smell of bagels. Yeah. And it, was, it was amazing. But then he worked on night shift, and then you would you had you, you got me going on the one three five thing. It's like if you want to stay up for twenty four hours, sleep for one, three, or five hours, you can stay up for twenty four hours. Oh. You would drive to Louisville after getting off at eleven sleep for an hour and then drive to Louisville and you were Stop. working on getting the job there. And then, I mean, you did some amazing stuff in Louisville and then you went to Philadelphia Inquirer and that's where you were at the first Iraq war, right? Was that, yeah, you were at, yep. yeah, you were at the Inquirer and then, but then, I mean, now, I mean, you spent probably more time doing this new thing with the event photography. You've kind of cornered the market on medical mm -hmm. conventions and things like that. And, so I, I think what, what's kind of interesting is, is to see, you know, what, how your path changes over time and, and how, but also how kind of the world and its media and its demands change over time. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that happened is somewhere around, you know, you know, I 
left Philadelphia around 97 or so, no, I'm sorry, 94 or so, and uh, moved with my then, you know, girlfriend at the time, but later my wife, we moved to Chicago, she was in retail, but uh, started freelancing there and tons of work in the 90s for the Times, the Post, USA Today, Business Week, Fortune, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the thing you started to see is somewhere around 2001, when the dot-com era was, was going on, the web was just sort of coming on, and advertisers shifting to online versus magazines and newspapers. And somewhere around 9-11 or so, it's just like the switch kind of changed. And so the publications that we used to work for all the time just got smaller and smaller because the advertising got smaller and smaller. Uh, one thing that was really good for freelance photographers many years was the annual report. Everyone always wanted their big glossy annual report, you know, with these great photos that made their company look great. And somewhere around that same time, the SEC said, no, you can do them as PDFs. And after that, they were like, yeah, we'll just put all the numbers in a PDF and forget all that money and investment on nice glossy photos, you know. And so that went off a cliff. But the next thing I started seeing is people asking me to do, since I was so used to doing digital, they wanted things for early social media or the website or things. And because I was so used to doing that, and I was digital pretty early on, started getting calls about these meetings and conventions in Chicago. And, and you know, I started to see that there was kind of a niche there for they needed them quickly. And a lot of other guys were still wedded to film or the people would say, oh, we get the pictures like 10 days later inside a disc and there's no captions and we can't figure out, you know, who's who. Well, in, in Rodney's and my and most of the newspaper world, we had to have IDs and names and all that information embedded in all those files. It was standard operating procedure. But for a lot of my clients, they're like, wow, you could do that? You know, yeah. you could find our pictures quickly. And so um, so that's one way I kind of ate a lot of guys' lunch because <laughs> I was geeky enough and digitally, you know, early on. And and um, I think that's, you know, I, I think if you look at any profession, it's, it's it, it costs a lot to be out there on that bleeding edge, but um if you're out there early and and doing it well um it can have huge dividend down the road you have, know have you seen your style of photography shift at all or evolve from going from these assignments where you're in iraq and at the olympics to now you're doing these conventional digital stuff like how has your style of photography shifted um you know in in some ways um i'd has have i would say it hasn't uh, too much. Um, good photos are still good photos. Uh, I think what I've become more aware of and attuned to the, the clients is making sure I'm getting the right people that they want and the right, you know, faces and getting to know, you know, who's important there. And um, I think, though, so going and photographing a meeting isn't the most, you know, exciting thing to do right. compared to covering the Olympics or, you know, a Gulf War or something. But 
I guess the attitude I, I take is I still want to go out there and and try and make the best picture I can and you know do something good for the client and have some professional integrity about because I've I saw a lot of guys who later in their career had been in a newspaper or something like that covered the same event for 20 years in a row and you'd see some guys like eh, I got to go back out to the county fair again and you know you know make another picture whereas I admired the guys that were the other way they were like I'm going to try and do something different you know I'm going to go out and cover that county fair I've covered 20 times and and maybe go with an, an idea, a concept, and then try and just apply that to the images. Yeah. And um, I admired those guys. And so for me, I, I feel like I walk into a room where there's a session I have to cover and there's six people in a room with 200 <laughs> empty seats and one speaker at a podium projecting slides. So my challenge is to walk in there is how do I make a good, interesting picture out of this? And so you start to learn how to frame up things and, and get creative and, and just do your best to, to make something that's boring and mundane <laughs> look as interesting as possible. Because a lot of life is that, you know. Well, it goes, <laughs> so. oh, sorry. It goes back to the beginning where we were talking about the difference between a good like just taking a photo and photography, it's that perspective that you bring to the table and your ability to be open-minded and look at an empty <laughs> convention center and be like, how can I, how can I make this great for my clients and make a great image? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just, like moment. We always said moment is king. Yeah. And if you can't get moment, then go big graphic. <laughs> so it's either go big or go home. But yeah. I think, and then I think even some of the event things, it's, it's not being, it's satirical, but every once in a while they kind of have in the back of their head what is it, we call it the lonely doctor or mm -hmm. tiny doctor. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we try to see how we can get a silhouette somewhere in the frame, you know, and just how small, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, just just to show the scope of things because you know, in newspapers we call it a thrill of monotony when you were talking about you know covering the same thing twenty years in a row. Yeah, but then you. You do. You try something different each one, and I I can tell. And like he shot something, and I can just see like he's up on a ladder, and I can see him fifty feet away. I was like, God damn! I could see the light. You could just see. I knew what he was shooting because yeah. the light was just perfect at that time. So it was always cool to like we always say greet the light. Mm -hmm. You know that early morning light. Get there. It, it it comes streaming in. Even in the office we have here, it's like I rarely see it because usually I don't come into about eight eight or nine. But if you come in here right at daybreak, the uh -huh. light comes from a direction you never see except for like 10 minutes every morning. Yeah. And it's beautiful. But the same with these convention halls. You you probably know every convention hall in the country <laughs> now. And, and you know, some worldwide ones, too, because he does worldwide. So, yeah. yeah he, where, you just got back from uh, Venice? I was in Vienna. Oh, Vienna, Vienna, Vienna last week, yeah. Ooh, yeah, that sounds nice. So, yeah, <laughs> can you enjoy some of these places you go then? <laughs> Are you yeah. Most yeah. of the time you're inside a convention center. Well, you're inside a convention center most of the day, but usually at least in the evenings you can hopefully go out. But sometimes you have to do editing in the evenings. It you know all depends how busy it is. But um, yeah, a lot a lot of times you're shooting during the day and editing at night. And uh, but you know um, sometimes you can stay on a day or two after or come a day or two early. And and uh, but uh, there there's times though. Uh, when you when you get back from somewhere where you've had a really super busy schedule and you're 
like in Miami in February. And, you know, people are like, oh, did you go out and have dinner and go out to the beach? I'm like, uh, no, I was in a convention center all day, all night. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we always said like, about like. Uh, I should just say you should yeah. say I went to Arkansas or something. Yeah, yeah. well, like you go to bowl games and cover like I cover bowl games and you know you cover NCAA events. It's like you're pretty much just inside there the whole time and you don't get to see what the fans get to see sometimes. Yeah. And like like I like I I don't think I've ever watched. I think I've watched one in Iowa basketball game and one football game from the stands. But yeah. I'm like. Yeah, I, I just want to. I just want to sit and watch a game. Sometime, you know? <laughs> Is it too much <laughs> you, to ask? To that point. But when, like I said, I think I've said before, when you're at the Olympics, it's like I'm at the goddamn Olympics. Yeah. You know, when you start to get a little tired, you're like I'm at the Olympics, and there's only like 200 photographers in the whole world who yeah. are here right now, and so you have to get the job. A done. realization. You get the job done. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, shoot, yeah, there's so much I would. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just, oh my gosh, all no, the time. I know. Breeders' Cup, and I mean the the stuff we saw there it was just some of the racing was amazing. <laughs> but and you've covered, yeah. My, one of my favorite things is when I went down to Louisville, and it was right around the Indianapolis 500. So we'd always say the Indianapolis 500 is the Kentucky Derby of car racing, <laughs> or something like that. But I <laughs> we went up to the Little 500. That's the coolest thing up there at Bloom uh, at University of Indiana. So they do this the fraternities and what is it five hundred laps of the and it Yeah, it's it's yeah. from the old breaking away movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and that's where the you know, the fraternities and sororities and then there's always the local, you know, townies who, who ride in the race and, and yeah, it it's just is is a load of fun and every you know, what's kinda neat about what we what we did and what we do is the places we get to go and different things we get to see. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's just, you know, very fortunate that, that, uh, we get to share that, but then it's our job to try and help you see that. You know? yeah. So absolutely. Well, before we let you go, I'm going to wrap up with the little, uh, would you rather photography <laughs> edition game with you guys, just to pick your brain about it. Um, I'm not going to lie. I took these from an article online because I have no idea what some of this means, but I still want to pick your brain regardless. So the first one was, would you rather use a zoom lens or a prime lens? <laughs> I would say it used, it used to make a big difference uh -huh. back in the day. Zoom lenses early on were kind of not quite up to snuff and the prime you'd, so you'd have this bag of six lenses, you know, whereas nowadays the, the lenses and technology have come a long way. And some of those, those zoom lenses are pretty damn nice. And it's nice not to carry like six lenses. Cause right. I can tell you in those early days, you would, <laughs> if you ever saw a film of like press events, so you'll see photographers like half the time digging around their bag, changing lenses, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, whereas now, you got a couple, two, three lenses, and and you're pretty well set. So, it, yeah, it used to be back in the day. It would. What do you think, Roddy? Yeah, I remember seeing pictures of the agency guys would have five cameras and five lenses. <laughs> you know, it just yeah. it, it, with the small little rangefinders they would do. Or there was a couple times like when I you go out into the desert to shoot. They're like, or even going down by the ocean, you don't want to change lenses. Yeah. So, because you'll you'll get a little yeah. salt spray there, sand. So you just keep the lens. So two zoom lenses are great right now. Like a twenty, I'd probably do a twenty four to seventy and a seventy two hundred. Or now they got these two hundred to five hundreds that are really nice. I guess I haven't. Yeah. 
So, yeah, Zooms are good now. Yeah. I, I, I would have a couple of Zooms. And you pretty much, that's pretty much all I did at the paper for 20 years. Uh, at the register, was used two Zoom lenses the whole time. Yeah. And a prime now. <laughs> the, the the long prime. like the It was nice to use those ultra telephotos, like a 500 or an 800. You yeah. borrow every once in a while. But, you know. Next one. Would you rather only be able to shoot with your phone or only be allowed five frames a day on whatever camera you please? Uh you know, phones have come uh, a long way, mm-hmm. and there are times when, if I need to get something out real quick, you know, because someone you know wants it real fast, there's sometimes I'll just whip it out, shoot a few frames, and then go back to my other camera. Yeah. Um, I I think the the hard thing is, for something it's great for a wide angle or something like that. It. It's just uh, the phones are still not quite there for a telephoto so so you know yes if if i'm doing some close-up with just some friends right there or some wide angle things or even some panoramas sure i would say phone phone's great but when you're photographing something at a distance unfortunately it's like it can't stabilize it can't zoom out enough so but we're getting there you know so yeah you know, that's, I would probably have, I would have the phone, but I'd have some of auxiliary lenses or something to, to <laughs> for, stick for a telephoto. But yeah, no, I, I, my phone is full constantly. I have a terabyte uh, iPhone. Yeah. And it's, I have stuff on there. Yeah. I, I do that on yeah. assignments. I'll just click, 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 click. Wow. Just says backup. Yeah. It's a great backup. Yeah. Dang, a terabyte on your phone. That's insane. Yeah. Um, would you rather only be allowed to shoot in hard sunlight or not be allowed to post process your photos? Only, hmm. uh, <laughs> only shoot in harsh sunlight? Yeah. Or not be able to. I mean, I'm okay with not post-processing, I guess. Yeah, not post, yeah. not post yeah. probably. Because harsh sunlight is just so hard to make nice pictures in. Um, you know, in California, we always had to deal with that. You know, the sun was, you know, you had sun so many of the days of the year. So awful. Yeah. Um, but, you know... Um, we we I started I learned a lot of techniques of how to to light people outside, and make it look like it's sunlight, but yet be able to control it so it wasn't such harsh shadows. Right. And so that's a whole art you kind of learned in itself. And so, um, yeah, I'd probably say uh, you you hate to shoot in harsh sunlight. So, <laughs> yeah. Is that your answer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, I would have scrims and yeah, <laughs> and I would move them into the shade yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. We'd make it work. Well, they used to, the geographic, I forgot who it was that would say, you know, get up and get up, greet the light, and then after eight o'clock in the morning, just go back to sleep and wake up at five because the light yeah, is yeah. It's <laughs> not good. You know, it's just, last one before we let you go is would you rather only be allowed to use the same camera forever or the same computer forever? <laughs> <laughs> um, feels like I use the same saw, camera forever. Yeah, one camera. You know, I'd say same same camera because you know really ultimately in the end it's it's about your ability to what you do with that camera. Um, you know, uh, I, I remember you know one one teacher I had would always joke about um, you know 
son, you know, you're, you're too far back. Mm-hmm. He says, use that other zoom lens you don't have. Your feet walk <laughs> a little closer. You know, his thing was, you don't need a big zoom lens. Just move. So, yeah, I think, you know, the computer demands are, are changing and, and, and bring along, you know, so many other capabilities. So I could live with probably the same camera for a long time. And yeah, I've been, I've been, I, when I was at the paper, I transmitted to my phone so many times from football games. Yeah. I, I could just plug a little uh, USB cable and pull an image off and send mm-hmm. right on the spot. And, and there was even a little, a tiny little app that could put an IPTC on there or put the info on there about what it was for. So, but yeah, I guess, and we're, as they, <laughs> We're at the age, too, where they say, you know, you ask, does it have a lifetime warranty? And then you, you go, well, I'm 60, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, yeah, it's a lifetime warranty, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. That's all I have for you, Todd. Sorry, Sam's making little side comments to us what now. What? Oh. What do you use for, uh, you use the Panasonic, don't you? No, no, Olympus. That's right. You're on Olympus. Yep. Is that the camera you'd have forever? I, I could live with it, you know. I did Nikon's and Canons for 40 years. A little bit of a Chevy Ford debate there, um, but some of these newer come newcomers like the the Sony's Olympus, um, they're pretty good stuff too. Uh, you know, I say nowadays the quality is pretty darn good across the line. Yeah. I always tell people. I guess if I'd leave, you know, something with with people is. Um, you know, you you don't need a Ferrari to drive around the streets of Des Moines, you know, to take your pictures. Uh, I always tell people, get the simplest, fairly simple one and start out, you know, not too many dials, knobs. You know, nowadays, a lot of them have a ton of stuff on them, but the simpler, the better, and be, and the lighter, the better, too, because you start loading yourself down and you'll be like, I don't want to carry all that weight with me. And once you start not carrying that weight with you, then why do you need why why the camera? You know, right. if you're going to leave it behind. Mm-hmm. So even if you're just using your phone, um, you can still make some pretty phenomenal pictures that way too. So keep it light, keep it simple, um, until you get comfortable to the point where you want more things and mm-hmm. gizmos. So I love it. But, well- Thank you for sitting down with us today, Todd, and hearing about your story with photography and what makes photography photography. It's just, it's also much more than it seems in a photo, you know, there's so much more behind the photo. So we appreciate your time today. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for your time too. Yes. (laughs) Talk to you later.